Coming up today on the Locked on Hornets podcast, we have revealed the greatest Charlotte Hornets moments of all time bracket. We have broken it down into four different regions. We'll reveal that and we'll even break down the first region and this. And so there's that factor. If you love me, then you have to love this moment. Uh, and I know you do. I know you love it. So me. we're going LJ. Is that what we're saying? Uh, hey, uh, hey, we hey, weren't hey, supposed hey. to be biased. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. We live. <laughs> this is Locked On Hornets presented by the Locked On Podcast Network, local ex- experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter, I'm on Twitter at Walker Mail, Doug on Twitter at Doug Branson, L-O-H, and you can find the show handle on Twitter at Lockdown Hornets. Usually, it's your team every day. That's what we strive for here, but in times without basketball and sometimes in the offseason when content is at a premium and hard to come by, we will go to three days a week. That is exactly what will be happening with the Lockdown Podcast Network starting next week. Um, our show will not be with you tomorrow but we will be back with david walker to rewatch game five of the 2016 first round series against the miami heat that includes at least the regionally famous courtney lee shot yes. but the programming note for you here today to take with you in times without basketball is that we will be doing shows mondays wednesdays and fridays so just three days a week and uh, that will be the new schedule unless we get basketball back maybe until if you're an optimistic person we get basketball back um especially if it's the Hornets, uh, the only thing that we would be affected by, at least mm-hmm. the Hornets playing, would be the regular season. And um, and we would you know come back and do it daily. But again, just three days a week starting uh, on Monday. Speaking of that rewatch that we're going to do tomorrow, we will have David Walker. But Friday, ju- we're going to be doing the rewatch. I'm sorry, yes, Friday we're going to do the rewatch. <laughs> to make it even more confusing, let me get the day wrong. So we are going to do this rewatch Friday. David Walker will participate. We also have Walker Mail. To make it even more confusing, I'm going to try to add in David Ramil, who is the host of the Locked on Heat podcast. I want to try to get him on to help us uh, kind of dissect what happened in that game. Nationally televised game. Can we get Ramil Robinson to join us on this rewatch to make it even more confusing? <laughs> is there any way that we can do that? Sure, why not? Let's, let's, I'm, I'm, sure he's, I'm, I'm sure he's not doing too much these days. <laughs> do you have Ramil Robinson's free time? contact information? If you were a good producer, I think you would have Ramil Robinson's information. But we will not be doing a show tomorrow. We'll rewatch that game on Friday. And as I mentioned, just going three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. And that's not just a Locked On Hornets thing. That's a Locked On Podcast Network thing. Uh, speaking of the Courtney Lee shot being regionally famous, can't imagine that's national. But here in Charlotte, we certainly remembered it. It was better times where the Hornets were actually competing in the playoffs, not just even making the playoffs, but actually competing in the playoffs. We have some regions that we've constructed of our own, and it is because of the bracket that we made consisting of the greatest moments in Charlotte Hornets history. Now, what Doug and I did was we had a draft. Give me the fanfare. Uh, What we did off air was we had our own little draft figuring out what the one seeds would be, the two seeds, uh, the three seeds, and four seeds. It's a bracket that consists of 16 greatest moments of all time, and we have constructed it into different regions. First, Doug will go to the Alonzo Morning Shot region. The Morning Shot was the number one overall seed, in case you were wondering. So it's Alonzo Morning Shot 
going up against the last team in Joe Lenardi, barely squeezing this in on the boat. Yep. Joe Lenardi as the last team in puts Muggsy Bogues block against Patrick Ewing. So that's your first matchup in the morning shot region. Alonzo morning shot against Muggsy blocking Patrick Ewing. And then the next matchup in that region is the two seed. The Hornets announced their return, and they also have a comeback win on that first night that they're back here in Charlotte. That goes up against the three seed in drafting Larry Johnson. That's your morning shot region. Uh, Do you want to have any comments on this, or do you want to save them for the second segment to really break that down, and we should just continue listing the matchups? Yeah, let's back up for just a second and talk about how we constructed this tournament of the greatest Hornets moments of all time. So you and I essentially had a draft where we we took – I think we had about 30 total moments. We asked people on Twitter to give us some suggestions. We put all of those together. And then you and I subjectively selected, we sort of had a draft where we selected our one seeds, our two seeds, our three seeds, and then our four seeds. And what we're going to do is we're going to, through the next couple of shows, we will talk about each region and then we will put it up to a vote on Twitter at Locked on Hornet. So you can actually uh, select the champion eventually. So I will put after this show airs, I will put up on Twitter the uh, this these two matchups, Alonzo Mourning versus Muggsy. You've got the classic matchup there, and then you've got LJ, another classic, going up against the Hornets coming back in 2014, uh, and, and we get our return. A very emotional thing there, the Hornets coming back, uh, being a two-seed in this region. All right, the second region is the Kemba scoring record region, the franchise scoring record region. Kemba Walker scoring record battling Al Jefferson making the All-NBA team, the All-NBA third team, which was the only Bobcat to ever do so. That's the battle that leads us off in the Kemba scoring, franchise scoring record region. The other matchup in that region is actually drafting Kemba Walker. That's the two seed battling the three seed and Anthony Mason and Glenn Rice in 1966, or 19, God, goodness gracious, that's going way. <laughs> the 1996-1997 season, them both making second team All-NBA, which I don't know if people realize that we had two guys on the Hornets on one team that actually made second team All-NBA. So that was the three seed in that region. Yeah, I think we're going to reveal that information to a lot of newer Hornets fans that at one time, because we've been used to Hornets making third team All-NBA, Al Jefferson, Kimball Walker, the most recent members of the third team All-NBA, but we actually had two members of the Charlotte Hornets in one season make second team All-NBA. So it'll be a cool chance once we get to that to revisit that 1996-97 season. Uh, a lot of promise for for that Hornets team. And then, yeah, this is this region is filled with Kemba. The, of course, the Hornets drafting Kemba Walker, but also this was my pick. Him breaking this is going to be the controversy, and we'll we'll dig into this when we get to this region. But I selected Kemba's breaking the all-time points leader. You didn't think that that really deserved such a high C, but I really felt like it encapsulated so many emotions around Kemba from drafting him to watching him grow and evolve and suddenly burst into this star player. So that's why I think it deserves to be the second overall seed. Yeah, your second overall seed entirely when consisting of all these moments. All right, next up is the Space Jam region. Space Jam being the one seed battling Kimba Walker's 60-point performance against the Philadelphia 76ers. That's the four seed in the region. The other matchup in the region, it's the Alonzo Morning trade going up against the Charlotte Bobcats' first playoff appearance. So the Bobcats 
making a couple of mentions here already with Al Jefferson's All-NBA selection and their first playoff appearance, of course, with the two stars being Gerald Wallace and Steven Jackson. Those are the matchups in the Space Jam region. Any comments, Doug? Would you like to move on to the final one? Uh, no, I would just like to say that I'm officially designating this the bittersweet region because <laughs> Kimball Walker's 60, it comes in a loss. The Hornets trading Zoe, I mean, that's that's tough whenever you trade a Hall of Famer, um, but it also comes, so that's the bitter part of it. You would love to see Zoe uh, want to stay in Charlotte and, and become a Hall of Famer and go into the Hall of Fame as a Hornet instead of a member of the Heat. But you do get, the reason I, I think this was a, another selection by me, the reason I included this where it is because, you know, you get Rice back. So that's the sweet part. And Rice would have a, a bit, he's in this uh, in this tournament elsewhere as uh, twice even. And so this is the bittersweet region. And Bobcats making the playoffs for the first time, that's awesome. Uh, but it would come and then go very quickly. They would tear the team down. So uh, this is the bittersweet region. Of course, Muggsy and Larry also, they fall to Michael in that game against the Toon squad. And so that was really tough to see. Oh, right, yeah, it's bittersweet in that, yes, the Hornets were featured, but it was in a movie where all of their powers get sucked out of them by aliens. Yeah, it's quite literally talentless basketball players from the Hornets <laughs> until you see Larry Johnson dunk it at the very end of the movie and Muggsy Bogues be able to do the spider drill once again, or at least do the figure eight drill where yeah. he's dribbling legs. Yeah, we finally got an exclamation point in the bittersweet region. All right, the last one, it's the 1989 Charlotte Hornets debut region, the first time. So that is the last number one seed. That will battle the four seed, the Courtney Lee shot, which we uh, we will rewatch on Friday. Courtney Lee making an appearance here in the tournament. And the other matchup in the 89 debut region, it's Kimba Walker's first all-start in Charlotte. I'll combine those words. His all-start in Charlotte, the first time he started in an all-star game, happening right here in the hometown that he played in at the time. And that will battle Glenn Rice's all-star game MVP, which, Doug, I think when looking at this, Immediately upon putting it together, you thought that was the matchup that most intrigued you. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, that's going to be the toughest matchup, and I think this is the toughest region. I mean, for me, there's so there there are a lot of emotions wrapped up in Kemba's All Star start, uh, but Glenn Rice lifting the trophy. I mean, that's just an image that sticks out for me in Hornets in Hornets history. Getting that MVP, it did not happen in Charlotte, just like the start didn't happen. Oh, the start did happen in Charlotte, so that may be a little differentiator there. Uh, then Courtney Lee shot. I mean, I was there and I get chills thinking about it. I mean, that game was incredible. And then uh, the Hornets debut in, in 1989. Uh, that was fantastic. Yeah, we're not doing this podcast without that. So maybe that just <laughs> should actually be the number one overall seed. It allowed us to do a podcast. I want to go over the other teams, I guess, quote unquote, that didn't make the cut real quick before we move on to the second segment. Doug, would you like to do that? Maybe the honorable mentions, the one that didn't make it. Or would you like to just move on? Well, let me look. I didn't have the list pulled up. I've got the actually. Got right. I've got the bracket HQ website pulled up. So yeah, why don't you run through some of them? Okay. All right. So the ones that did not make the cut, they were on the outside looking in. They're all angry that they didn't make the tournament, even though there were cameras set up in their room, in their arena, watching them, hoping to see some kind of elation. We eventually did not see it. Grandmama and Urkel winning the two-on-two -two title um, in Family Matters. That's one that didn't make it. The Byron Mullins dunk and Miracle After Midnight, despite Doug and him being adamant, wanting those to get in the tournament, they didn't find a way in. So those are two that I'm surprised were left out. How about the Baron Davis 89-foot third-quarter buzzer beater? Still the longest made field goal in NBA history. I remember watching that. So 
tough to see that on the outside looking in, but I'm the one that chose some of these teams that got in, so just missing the cut there. Also, the Baron Davis shot that never was against Orlando. That was one which probably could see some time in the bittersweet region if it had made it. Kimball Walker's first very all-star game of his career did not make it. Kobe scores 58 points, but the Bobcats win, and the Bobcats kind of had that run where they beat the L.A. Lakers quite a bit. Eddie Jones makes All-NBA second team. He did not make the tournament. Kimba Walker makes All-NBA third team. Kind of a bad moment, if you think about it. It led to his exit a little bit more than maybe had he not made the All-NBA team. That's why we did not include that in the tournament. Um, Jeremy Lamb's heave in that Mm -hmm. win against Toronto. Mm -hmm. Fantastic moment, but did not make the tournament. The Larry Johnson trade did not make the tournament. And last but not least, another one of Doug's favorite moments, the first time we ever saw Biz hit the Euro step oh. that you all saw in person. I'm going to say that's number 17 in my mind. I mean, I tried to – this was a subjective list. It's what we think, you and I, and, and we did take some suggestions, but you and I selected this. We tried to – even though it's subjective, we did try to be a little bit unbiased and objective and say what would – the entire fan base view as you know as best we could figure out what that what that looks like and and leave our emotions out of it and so yeah biz Eurostep Byron Mullins hitting the dunk over LMA I mean Miracle After Midnight that was a tough one for me because I it, it has significance for me but it doesn't have the the historical significance that some of these other things do and also uh, I should say. Uh, I guess I wasn't there for the Courtney Lee shot. I mean, that's I wasn't in Miami. I was going to say I was going to say you were in Miami for that one. Yeah, no, did you really make that trip? No, I wish I would have. I mean, that would have been incredible. No, I didn't. <laughs> but I but I did exist on Earth. I guess that's what I meant. I existed on Earth. I was watching it on television with everyone else. Uh, but some of these uh, events, I was not at least aware enough. I was too young to be aware of maybe like the drafting of LJ in 1992 years old. You're not going to really understand what's oh, going on. Yeah. So. That's what I meant. <laughs> I think we got it. I, I understood that as well. I thought about calling you out on that. I was like, maybe he was in Miami, and I just didn't realize that. I'll move on. Yeah, how do you yeah, know? That's all how over you the- know? Oh, you see, you're so quick. You're so quick to judge me. That's all over the place on here for this tournament, by the way. I mean, I'm, I'm younger than you are, and so a lot of these moments, I have no, I don't remember in real time. So, yeah, the Courtney Lee shot. I was there just like you were, Doug. We'll go into the first region. We'll break that down, come up with some of our winners next on the Locked On Hornets podcast. This is Locked On Hornets. Like, you can't drop a name like Anthony Tolliver into the middle of a ring. It's like dropping a piece of savory, juicy meat in, in a lion cage. You know, if you drop Anthony Tolliver's name into this conversation, I'm going to attack that. it, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, just going to rip it up. I know that. I know that once, hey, man, you got to stay away from Anthony Tolliver. It's going to make Doug into a rabid dog. I'm tall over it. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Hey, maybe you guys are getting antsy. Maybe you want to get out of the house. Maybe they've closed the parks, wherever you're listening from, and you just want to get out of the house, but you can't do it, and all you're trying to do is get in better shape. Just like these NBA players, they're going to have to get in better shape once the season starts. Maybe it's just the postseason, but you don't want to come out and looking all flabby, trying to figure out exactly the best way to stay in shape. Well, maybe one day you can do that is one way you can do that. One day is now, if you want to go ahead and order it, it's Echelon. To get fit in 2020, you don't have to join a gym or pay a ton for overpriced fitness equipment. The best way to get in the best shape of your life is with Echelon. Go to echelonfit.com to discover their EX1 connected fitness bikes that offer a high quality at-home cycling experience at a less than half the price of Peloton. 
Echelon makes beautifully engineered products for everyone, busy moms and dads, first responders, and elite athletes, whatever your activity level. And with daily live and on-demand studio classes right in your home, you'll never have to step foot in a gym. You'll love Echelon, but if you aren't 100% satisfied, we'll give you your money back. Join the hundreds of thousands of men and women who are getting fit with Echelon, and you don't have to pay a ton for a Peloton. Buy an Echelon bike today for under $1,000. Go to echelonfit.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's L-O-N-B-A to be exact. L-O-N-B-A to learn about their limited time, free Apple iPad, and complete details of this exclusive offer. Echelon, it's your time. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N fit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. Echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. Doug, the morning shot region, the first team that they're going to go up against, the Alonzo morning shot that, of course, sent the uh, Charlotte Hornets into the next round, beating the Boston Celtics, winning that series. Um, They are battling Muggsy Bogues blocking Patrick Ewing which was one of your choices to make the tournament. Why did you choose Muggsy Bogues blocking Patrick Ewing to be the final team in the NCAA tournament or in the, I should say, Charlotte Hornets greatest moments tournament? And what are the chances that it could actually knock off what I think we both viewed as the overall winner in this, the overall number one seed? Yeah, so Muggsy is in this tournament in the form of Space Jam as well, but I really felt like this moment uh, is something that a lot of Hornets fans remember it might not have you know, historical significance in the same way that that Alonzo hitting that shot to win and and send the Hornets uh, to their first playoff series victory does. Uh, but I think that that Muggsy block on Ewing really represented the underdog spirit that a lot of people in Charlotte, a lot of Hornets fans felt not only about their team, uh, but about their city. And also, the NBA made a big deal about this about this block because it was so interesting to see Muggsy, you know, all five, three of him get up and block a center. I mean, it didn't seem like something uh, that was possible, but Muggsy represented. And for me, like I was never a tall kid. Like, so I always uh, looked up to Muggsy, who was actually shorter than me uh, by the time I was at adult size. But I always looked up to Muggsy's spirit because he represented everything that it meant to be a, a charlatan. Yeah, it's it's crazy. We talk about this a lot. I, I don't think people realize just how short five three is. And I remember exactly when I measured at five three. I was in the third grade, Doug, and I was excited <laughs> because I oh, finally cool. was as tall as an NBA player. Humble brag. I was finally well. It's it's not anything to do with me being this tall giant. I wasn't even the tallest kid in my class. It was just me being as tall as an school, NBA. You player. went to school with George Murison. Yes, I did. And Minute Bowl, we were all there. We were all put, it was basically a carnival. We were all getting gawked at. When you look at Muggsy Bogues being 5'3", blocking a seven-footer at Patrick, like Patrick Ewing, I think the novelty of Muggsy being like that is what makes this so interesting to me. And it's why I had trouble rating Muggsy Bogues when we did the top 30 Hornets of all time list. Mm-hmm. There were some people that were angry at me. And there's the argument of Muggsy Bogues is overrated because people liked him for being so small. They actually overrate him. Well, no, Muggsy Bogues was actually pretty good. Yeah. Crazy quick, was an excellent defender. And a lot of people, Rip and Ellis mentioned this, that maybe Muggsy Bogues wouldn't have been the player he was had he been a little taller. And that, and that even means skill, right? Maybe not even been as good as he was. So I thought he was good. And the novelty matters. The narrative matters. I'm fine with this moment being in the greatest moments tournament, but it doesn't have a shot to go up against this, uh, the morning shot that led them to the second round. No, it's going to be a really tough matchup here for Muggsy to overcome uh, that shot because it does have the historical significance. We went and did a rewatch of the fourth quarter of this game, 
and it, it comes on a weird play or at least a weird sequence of plays where the Hornets could not score in that fourth quarter and they kept going to Larry Johnson to like back down players from the three-point <laughs> line or from the half-court line, it seemed It like. was a post-entry pass from the half-court line. Yeah, it's fantastic. So, you know, really great offense there. But then they draw something up to get Alonzo Morning open. And Morning, it's not just a jump shot. I mean, it is a it is a step-back, like, fade-away jump shot that Alonzo hits. It's not something that a center of his size is supposed to do, but he did it, and the Hornets won. It's it's damn near a college three. Maybe the toes on the line, but it's damn near a college three from where Zoe hit that, which was not his forte. He wasn't a great three-point shooter in the NBA. The fact that he hit that shot, it was impressive, and that has to be the best moment. There's a reason that they have the Steve Martin bobblehead that you can press the button and hear that call from Steve Martin when Zoe hits that shot. It moves on. I don't think there's going to be any disagreement between us there. The Zoe shot moves on to the next round. Now, okay, well, now see, you, is, hold on. You're see, you're influencing the vote. We got to leave this to the people. You are okay. trying to. I will leave my opinion out of this. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, apologize. come on. Sorry, Jeez. I thought that's what we were doing. I apologize. Well, I you mean, can we just, you can insinuate, but I mean to say that this is a done deal. I mean, I think you're being very unfair to Muggsy Bogues right oh, now. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I I forgot about the listeners. Maybe if the listeners want to put Muggsy Bogues up there, I forgot that they are voting here instead of us choosing it. Fine, that's the matchup. Vote however you will. I won't judge you about it whatsoever. The other matchup, Doug, I thought, I mean, this is quite literally designed to be the toughest matchup of the bracket. Just the way that we ranked all of these teams, when you look at the exact middle, the 8-9 seed, this is the toughest matchup as far as how we drafted this. At least this is supposed to be. This is the, designed to be the toughest matchup. So the two seed in this region, it's the Charlotte Hornets announcing their return and having that comeback win on the first night. And that battles drafting Larry Johnson, Grandmama, the gold tooth, the guy that got a lot of national publicity because of the way that he played college ball. But also he was a part of really launching the popularity of the Charlotte Hornets, drafting Larry Johnson, their only number one overall selection, battling the Hornets comeback night and that comeback win. <laughs> what are your thoughts on this matchup? I, I, I think it holds true. I think we did a good job drafting and pinning what should be the toughest matchup. It's pretty damn tough in my opinion. Oh, I think so, um, and for a couple of reasons. Um, so we cheated. That's the first re reason, because the Hornets, we found out about the Hornets returning in 2013. In fact, it was the impetus for me to move to Charlotte and start covering the team. I was in Nashville at the time. I moved to Charlotte to start uh, the podcast for Sirius and cover the team. And so there's that factor. If you love me, then you have to love this moment. Uh, and I know you do. I know you love so me. So we're going LJ? Is that what we're saying? Uh, hey, I hey, thought hey, we hey, weren't hey. supposed to be biased. I thought you weren't supposed to influence the vote. I'm just saying. And so we mixed that with the comeback victory because it, it was so interesting. You walked in that night and you got this little commemorative ticket and the ticket on the back said the comeback. And then the Hornets get the comeback victory against Milwaukee. They were down 22 with like five minutes to go in the third quarter, and they somehow rallied back in that fourth quarter. They were really dominated that entire game until that fourth quarter when uh, Kemba hits the shot to send them to overtime, and then Kemba hits the two-pointer to uh, put the, the go-ahead two-pointer, and then Middleton would miss a three, and they would win the game. Marvin Williams played great. Uh, this was the debut of Lance Stevenson as well, so you had that whole storyline that didn't end up great, but we were all excited about it at the time. <laughs> Yeah, I don't so, know that's a piece of evidence that helps that, but no, I understand. Yeah, and there's just <laughs> a lot of emotion. I mean, the, people worked really hard behind the scenes to make this happen, and then the NBA allowed it to happen, and it was just like, what? Like, how can this happen? The Hornets are returning. It was such a crazy thing. I honestly think it deserves to be higher, but it is where it is. 
And then drafting LJ, it was the first time, the only time the Hornets have had the number one overall pick, and they got this generational talent in Larry Johnson and a player that really is, you know, it's it's LJ, it's Zoe, it's Dell, it's Kemba. I mean, these guys are just, they'll always be close to the Hornets fandom and on the Mount Rushmore of Hornets players. And so drafting him was a big deal. Well, this is what I struggle with too. It's, you know, what resonates nationally, what resonates locally, and what's more powerful when deciding who moves on? What's more powerful when deciding to seed these? Because I think, Larry Johnson resonated nationally with people. It's what put them on the map in a way where you saw the Charlotte Hornets starter jackets being worn by kids in Lithuania that liked basketball. Larry Johnson was a part of that movement and bringing the Hornets back meant something more to us locally than it did, I think, resonate on a national level. Yes, of course, it changed the NBA because a team moved from one city to another. At least there was a team that changed its name, I should say, not moving from one city to another in this particular instance but drafting larry johnson the gold tooth and the grandmama persona i mean it was awesome i mean that guy was a celebrity coming out of college you know it you don't like anthony davis was fantastic right he was considered a generational player too coming out of college but he wasn't a celebrity in my opinion larry johnson was the kind of celebrity that was on that team with augman and the running rebels and Mm -hmm. playing under jerry tarkanian there was a lot of national press already following that guy that came to Charlotte. And yeah. so that's what I'd struggle with measuring national prowess to just local prowess and what means more when deciding who went. Well, I, I would argue that it me that these are our moments mm-hmm. as, as fans of the Charlotte Hornets. So that should mean more than anything because look at how much the national media has disrespected this franchise. I mean, I was just reading the, the on ESPN, the Jordan document, the announcement from ESPN, the makers of the Jordan documentary, had a release out about moving the date up to April, and it said Jordan owns the Bobcats. Oh, and by the way, they had another grammatical error in that. I mean, it was just completely botched. Fantastic. Not even just the Bobcats. Yeah, it was unbelievable. So yes, the Hornets were at one time a national franchise, and then it got all messed up, and then all of a sudden, no one wants to pay attention to Charlotte and Charlotte basketball, and they disrespect it all the time. So in my opinion, I think that having that national relevance back then is significant and 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 makes, you know, Space Jam is in this, and uh, LJ is in this, and so that, and Grandmama factors into this, the branding, that does factor into it. But I would say that this really, this matchup is about national versus local meaning. And LJ represented everything that it meant to be the national brand. And the Hornets' return and comeback was a grassroots movement. It started as a grassroots movement, and it represents everything about the Hornets that meant something to Charlotte. Just, so just to continue. That's the matchup. No, it is the matchup. I would argue national resonation you know coming back it, it can go into local it can't happen the other way you know it, what what resonates locally doesn't do that nationally but nationally can resonate locally and i think that's what larry johnson did because it's our moment we win a championship there's no doubt that people in bas- just straight up basketball fans remember that team and so do we that's a national moment that's a local mm-hmm. moment but them coming back i don't know if the nba cared Th- this is a matchup doug that i am truly happy to not have to decide between i just it's it's fun to kind of balance the factors and what decides who should move on because this is a a fun match the two three matchups are going to be fun really throughout the tournament yeah the responsibility is in your hands dear listener so go to twitter at locked on hornets and have your voice heard vote on these we'll keep these uh votes open for a few days 
and we're back on Monday. I'll say Monday. We'll announce the winners of this region on Monday, and then we'll also talk about our second region in our Greatest Hornets Moments bracket. And that will line up nicely because we'll have three more brackets to break down, three more regions to break down, and we will be moving to three shows a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We'll be doing that next week, unless we do a rewatch um, on the next Friday as well, like we're doing this Friday, rewatching the Courtney Lee shot, Game 5, 2016, first round series. I was there. Miami Heat. Yeah, you were there. You were in Miami cheering it on. You were wearing the purple and teal. Everybody else was wearing a Miami Heat jersey, yeah, and everybody hated you for that. Coach All right, Pat. we'll have one. We have one more segment to go on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Um, basically, some nerdy stuff for you. Cleaning the glass. It's Doug's favorite website to go to to look up statistics on the NBA. We'll talk a little bit about what he found next on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Yes. <laughs> this is Locked On Hornets. All I have to go off of is write-ups and highlights and some video tidbits on Twitter because I was not able to watch this game. Tidbits, like are, tidbits? That's, a gr- well, that's a great word, tidbits. It, I mean, that's just a, a funny word. word, tidbits. I want to use it every single day. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. We contemplated doing that bracket even, coming up with some of the most obscure sayings and the funny sayings in the English language and figuring out a way to figure out what the champion is of of those topics of those categories tidbits would be i think tidbits i I don't want to say it's a number one seed because that's the easy thing to do so i'll say it's a number two seed tidbits definite number two seed we've had those conversations before in the past because you hear something and you have you have uh, no ability to hold on to that so you will immediately blurt out your opinions on that saying i remember that happening when i said stalwart one time oh stalwart i think that's a number one seed for sure stalwart (laughs) stalwart that's a one Mm-hmm, 100%. That is a number one seed, at least if the bracket was constructed by Doug. Doug, you also came across some statistics on cleaning the glass. They've introduced something new that they're doing over at cleaning the glass. They're coming out with player trends, and you found some interesting stuff on the Charlotte Hornets and the player trends that they've displayed on that website. Yeah, if you're interested in basketball numbers, I would really suggest checking out Cleaning the Glass. They don't sponsor the show or anything. I just think they do something really cool, and it's it's not that expensive. And uh, if, if you're really into this stuff, it's a cool website to check out, cleaningtheglass.com. They've rele- they release new stuff over time. That's what I like. They, they're kind of innovating as they go along. And one of the newest things they've just released are player trends. And so you can go and look at a graph here of any player in the NBA and then how they've done over the course of the season in terms of effective field goal percentage, usage, assist percentage, all of these stats that they have. And they also have a line here on the graph that shows the season average for the player and then also the position average. So if it's a guard, you know, how guards have done across the league in usage percentage and effective field goal percentage. And then you can trace the line of how, you know, Devontae Graham has done in usage percentage. So I pulled some numbers here, and I think it's really interesting to look at the graphs for Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier's usage percentage, right, Walker? I mean, we talk about this all the time. How would these two players get along? Because Terry Rozier was brought in here to be the lead guard. And then all of a sudden, Devontae Graham, you know, comes out of the offseason on fire. And it was like immediately we knew Devontae Graham had to get more minutes and more usage. So how would that affect Terry? How would they figure things out? And it looks like they've really done it in a balanced way. If you look at the usage percentage over time for both players, that both of them, 
I would say Devontae Graham actually had less usage at the very beginning of the season. He was just hitting everything he shot, but it started to rise as we go into December, and it peaks at about mid-December and then starts to fall uh, precipitously as he goes through his shooting drought. He would They would depend on him less and less. And if you look at Terry Rozier's usage, his usage goes way up above his season average and above the position average at about mid-December through the uh, middle of January. So they were getting the ball to Terry more as Devontae Graham was starting to slip away. The other interesting data point on usage percentage is that uh, both Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier were seeing the ball a lot less as we got into February and into the very beginning of March, whereas Miles and PJ were getting the ball a lot more. So whatever Coach Borrego was doing offensively, whatever strategy he was imploring as the Hornets were starting to get better there at the at the uh, end of February, into March, he was giving the ball to P.J. and Miles a lot more and putting less onus on Terry and Devontae to make things happen. Yeah, I'm not surprised about any of those numbers that you mentioned, and those would have been some of the things that I would go to immediately to try to figure out exactly if my eyes were deceiving me, if if what I thought maybe those trends would be would be replicated based on what I was looking at on cleaning the glass. And I think that's mostly true. It doesn't surprise me that Devontae Graham doesn't have that big of a usage percentage at the beginning, but then as he becomes integrated into the offense as the lead guard, it would go up and then the shooting drought comes and you know happens for him. And then he, you know, ever so slightly goes down and down and down as that shooting drought does last a long time. So I'm not surprised about any of those numbers. And Doug, I don't know how easily accessible some of the other numbers are, but some of the other players that I would be really interested in, mm-hmm. you mentioned the Miles Bridges usage percentage going up. Mm-hmm. I, I think if you were to ask me, okay, what are you most interested in? Devontae Graham would have been one because of the kind of split season that he had through the first um, 60 games or so. And then when you look at Miles Bridges, right, he was kind of somebody that struggled for a while. Yeah, We got that month from him. I think that's about all it was, maybe a little over a month where he was playing pretty well. And then it was the six-game slide that he had at the end of the season. And Malik Monk would be somebody. Yes, I love Malik Monk, but that was somebody that was pretty interesting to me as well, just the way that his season kind of developed. Let me give you some numbers on Miles Bridges first. It's been a topsy-turvy year for him. You can see big peaks and big valleys for him, and and it's just been consistently, uh, it almost looks like a sine wave where it's just going up, down, up, down, up, down pretty consistently. Uh, that month that you were talking about, in beginning at the beginning of this year, going to about the mid, uh, mid-January mid point, you see a huge spike up for him where he was averaging effective field goal percentage above the position average and above way above his season average. Um, But then towards the uh, end of February into March, his effective field goal percentage bottoms out lower than we've seen it all season. At the same time, he's getting the ball more and more. And so (laughs) that's where we saw Miles really start to dip off as the team was actually uh, playing better. And uh, also, if you look at the effective field goal percentage of Devontae Graham, one thing that actually kind of shocked me a little bit is that for a majority of this season, his well, first of all, his season average effective field goal percentage is below the position average. So he's been a below average player in terms of shooting efficiency. And for most of the season, he has spent it below his season average. I mean, really starting at about the mid-December point, he has been work, trying to work his way back up to season average. It's just that he had such an amazing October, November, and beginning of December that it kind of all equals out. But you do, both with Graham and Rozier, and this checks out, 
you you saw both at about the mid-February point, you saw both of those players become more efficient shooters. What about Malik Monk, Doug? Do you have those numbers easily available? Those are, and yeah, yeah the, the Miles Bridges one is here. kind of interesting. You know, I, I don't know if I would have remembered as Miles was getting the ball more that dramatically. I don't know if I would have recognized, okay, he's getting the ball more and his effective field goal percentage is going way down. I don't know if I would have given you that guess, but All right, I got Malik like here. Shot. What do you what do you want to see in terms of I mean I can give you game score. What you saw a huge rise in game score from about uh this would have been probably the middle of January up to the middle of December. I mean it's just a complete turnaround in game score. He was down to about 2.0. His season average is 6.2. And then the position average for wow. game score is almost, it's above seven. And so he was sitting at a two at about the middle of January. And then it just starts rise, 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 rise until he was at, in the middle of February, he was at a, almost at a 12 game score. Yeah. He was so good for that stretch. It's what It's what makes this, tough with Malik because of the suspension that he had before the actual season mm -hmm. was suspended. Um, and you know what, PJ Washington, like it, it, it's not that I, what's kind of funny about PJ is usually you would kind of be drawn to the rookies numbers, but I just feel like PJ Washington is not one of the few guys that I want to go to and, and check first and foremost, you know, it's all the guys that you just kind of mentioned, right? Like I feel like PJ has kind of been rock solid all season long. Yes. He's hit maybe one or two rookie walls and there's been some stretches where he wasn't great. But I just feel like I, I can't imagine that you would see many peaks and valleys with him like you did with Miles Bridges when you looked at his stat line. The, the one peak and valley point for him has been his three-point percentage. Uh, it was stable. It was really hot to start the season. That checks out. Then it was stable probably from December until the middle of January. Then he hits a little bit of a peak uh, in the middle of January where he was red hot for about four games. And then it just starts to go down, 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 down. And that's when we really started to see his play suffer. And then he worked his way back up um, right before the, the season stopped. So that's one place. Also an interesting number, a trend line to look at for Devontae Graham is shooting fouled percentage. So this is how often he gets fouled uh, on, on, um, on plays where he gets to go to the line. His season average is right above 8%. The position average is right below 10%, so about 9.8%. That's the shooting foul percentage for most guards in the league. Uh, he's below average most of the season, even below his season average for a lot of the season. But again, you look at about 226, so at about the end of February through those last six games, that number was starting to go up dramatically. And so, again, that just checks out on the eye test. We had, we had been yeah, talking sign, about yeah. right in that region where Devontae Graham had started to be more aggressive driving the ball, and he was getting fouled. All right, cool stuff. That wraps up this edition of Locked On Hornets. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On NBA. Remember, we will be going to three shows a week starting on Monday. We will not be with you tomorrow we will come back on friday it's going to be a packed house apparently we're going to get, try to get four people to rewatch this game five of the 2016 first round series against the miami heat of course that does include the courtney lee shot will be fun to see some of the things that develop before courtney lee does hit that shot to win that game for the hornets again no tomorrow we'll be back with you on friday have a good day and we will see you on friday and rewatch that game not an actual packed house stay at home wash your hands <laughs>